A little boy was, uh, was sick on Palm Sunday. Our little girl, Brianna, is sick today. She's not able to make it here with us. But this little boy was sick on Palm Sunday and stayed home from church with his mother. And his father returned from church holding a palm branch. And the little boy was curious, and he asked, So why do you have that palm branch in your hand, Dad? And you see, the father explained, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So we got palm branches today. The little boy replied, oh man, the one day I, was, I miss is, is the Sunday that Jesus shows up. <laughs> so you can tell people if they weren't here this Sunday, they missed it. <laughs> this morning, as you know, is Palm Sunday, and this is the day taken from the Gospels where a whole city threw a parade for Jesus, and more than the parade that you probably would see for the Super Bowl celebration in Seattle. More than the parade you'd see for the Trailblazers championship in 1977. This was a parade for Jesus. As Jesus rode into the city, the people waved palm branches and they threw them on the ground in front of him, anticipation of his coming. And so we get our word, Palm Sunday. And this day marked a time of celebration where Jesus was worshipped and praised. This day is bittersweet for us because even as we read the celebration, we know that Friday is coming. The cross is coming. We know that many in this same crowd will, within a few short days, exchange words of praise for words of death, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then later shouting, Crucify Him, Crucify Him. And this morning, I want to focus our attention on two moments in the Bible, both which focused upon Jesus, but with two different results. So turn with me this morning to two passages, one from the Gospel of Matthew. You'll probably find that in the back of your bulletin, the Scripture references. Gospel of Matthew, and the other one from the Gospel of Luke. So first turn to Matthew, if you can, chapter 27. We're going to begin in, in verse 15. Place your finger there. And then turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Now we're going to begin in verse 36. So you have your finger on chapter 27 of Matthew, and you have chapter, uh, chapter 19 of Luke wide open. Start with verse 36. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the, on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And we'll stop there at that verse. Now flip over to the Gospel of Matthew. Did you had your finger in there. Chapter 27, starting with verse 15. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. 
What shall I do then with Jesus who's called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And we'll stop there, that verse. The great evangelist Billy Graham has been quoted many times as saying that the greatest mission field in our country today is in our local church. The people sitting already in our churches, right in the pews. Now, I'm not sure whether this statement is true or not. It might be true more more so for some churches than others. But one thing that I do know is that many people know what to say. They know how to say it and even how to act in it. But when the rubber truly meets that road, there is no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No salvation. It's just empty words. We see a perfect example of this in our two passages this morning. On Sunday, Jesus rode into the city with the people shouting praises and praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. The palm branches were flying then. Now on Friday, words of death were flying as they shouted, give us Barabbas, we want him, crucify Jesus, crucify him. Why the change? Well, there are many possible reasons, but one simple reason is that their words did not match their heart. The real issue is that they possessed a casual faith rather than a committed faith. They had religion, but they missed the person of Jesus Christ. Neil was just talking to me about a person he was talking with. And he attended a church, and uh, Neil was saying, so in his conversation, a question came up, so do do they talk about the Holy Spirit there? And he's like, the guy is saying, no, I I don't think so. (laughs) And Neil was like, what? What? No Holy Spirit? Without the Holy Spirit, there's no personhood of Jesus. There's no personhood of God. When Jesus left back up to heaven, he went back to heaven, Uh, He left with us the counselor. The counselor that guides us into all truth. We have a personhood of God with us in the Holy Spirit. Don't miss out on the person of Jesus Christ, no matter how much religion you have. So how can we have a committed faith? How How can we be real and sincere? How can we be consistent in all that we do? This morning, I want to offer you some keys to a committed faith. And hopefully, these keys will help you out in getting to that point from a casual faith to a committed faith. Now, the first key is that a committed faith is not self-centered, but rather Christ-centered. It's not self-centered, but rather Christ-centered. Now, this sounds pretty obvious, but we often miss it. In America, we tend to say to to God, okay, God, here's my calendar, here's my agenda, now I can squeeze you in here or I can squeeze you in there. We pull God out or, or turn to God only when it's convenient or useful to us. In our passage, the people praised Jesus as he passed by, but many of them praised him for two reasons. First, they praised him, praised Jesus because of his miracles. He had healed the sick, raised the dead, 
They praised him because he was serving them. If you go back and look through the Gospels, there are a lot of moments where Jesus helped people in their physical ailments, different situations that they were in. Secondly, they praised Jesus because they saw in Jesus a way to be politically delivered from the Romans. Here comes the king. We're going to be delivered from the hand of the Romans now. They wanted to be set free from Rome as Israel was set free from Egypt. And Jesus was the one to do it. Here comes our king, and we don't have to um, bow down to Caesar anymore. Their praise was tempered with the attitude of Jesus what can you do for me? How can you be my king of this creation here? How can you come and bring a miracle in my life? A few days later, at the trial, they saw a beaten and disfigured Jesus. They saw a man who no longer looked like a deliverer or a conqueror. And as words were said about him, they bought into all the lies and quickly changed their position. For them, it was all about me, me, me. They didn't see the person of Jesus Christ and who he was and came to be in their life. There's a legend about an ancient village in Spain. Villagers learned that the king would pay a visit. For a thousand years, a king had never come to that village. So excitement grew. We must throw a big celebration, the villagers all agreed. But it was a poor village, and there weren't many resources. Someone came up with a classic idea. Since many of the villagers made their own wines, the idea was for everyone in the village to bring a large cup of their choice wine to the, to the town square. We'll pour it into a large vat and offer it to the king for his pleasure. When the king draws wine to drink, it will be the very best he's ever tasted. The day before the king's arrival, hundreds of people lined up to make their offering to the honored guest. They climbed a small stairway and poured their gift through a small opening at the top. Finally, the vat was full. The king arrived, was escorted to the square, given a silver cup, and was told to draw some wine, which represented the best the villagers had. He placed the cup under the spigot, turned the handle, and then drank the wine. But it was nothing more than water. You see, every villager reasoned, I'll withhold my best wine and substitute water. With so many cups of wine in the vat, the king will never know the difference. Problem was, everyone thought the same thing, and the king was greatly dishonored. Today, Palm Sunday 2019, choose to honor our great king. Choose to honor Jesus Christ by giving him our very best. Don't hold back. Withholding nothing. Giving him our all. A committed faith is not self-centered, but Christ-centered. A second key is that a committed faith is relationship-driven. It's relationship-driven. Many of those who gathered to throw their coats and palm branches onto the street who, and who shouted praises did so because it was a popular thing to do. At that one brief moment, it became pretty trendy. 
Maybe some began doing it with sincere motives, but others soon did it because others were doing it. Looked like a good thing to do. You've been there before. Someone comes up to a street corner, starts staring up at the sky, right? Others come on up, they go, they look too. Pretty soon you get 10 other people looking up the sky, and that first person walks away, and everyone's looking up the sky going, what are you looking at? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what it was. This guy, and he's gone. It's the trendy thing to do. The trend is things do it because others were doing it. Later at the trial, shouting crucify him was the thing to do. In fact, for a brief moment, it was the trendy thing to do to make a mass murderer and criminal their hero when they shouted, we want Barabbas. In our own lives, a committed faith comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just the thing to do. It's not the trendy thing. It's the only thing. <laughs> One where every day is fresh and new as he personally directs our steps. Those of you who are in a marriage, have that spouse, you understand. <laughs> it's every day you work on that marriage. It's every day you work on that relationship. You can't just let it go by and slide. It's not something you come with instructions and each day you, you rotely do something just because it's, it's a thing to do. This is the Sunday. I go to church with my wife. Here I go. And I come back home. Monday we go to work. Come back home. We have dinner. We say hi. Greet each other. We go to bed. Come back. Give up in the morning. Go back to work. It could get like that. But your personal relationship with your spouse needs to be more than just that. The thing is, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be more than just the rote every day going through the motions. It needs to be a personal relationship where you work on that relationship. You spend time with Jesus as you would spend time with your spouse. And you spend time with Jesus in praying, devotions. Get to know Him more. And to get to know Him more, you've got to read God's Word more. And when you read God's Word more, you know more about His will for your life. It's all connected. And if you're not working on that relationship with Jesus Christ, I submit to you it's just a religion to you. It's just a ritual that you're going through. Don't let it get to that point. Whether your relationship with Jesus or your relationship with your spouse. Don't let it get to that point. Every day needs to be a fresh day with Jesus. Fresh and new as he personally directs our steps. And we're anticipating. We should every day wake up, ready to go, and maybe you won't say it this way, but you're pretty much in your mind going, okay, Jesus, what do you have for me today? <laughs> What's my assignment? What's going on? And throughout the day, you connect with Jesus, making sure the decisions that you make are God-honoring throughout the day, guided by Him. In order to have a committed faith, we must develop and maintain a personal relationship with Jesus. A third key is that a committed faith is not swayed or blocked by our personal trials and crisis. It goes through our life. It's not blocked by our personal trials and crisis. At the parade, it was trendy to offer praise. Everyone was doing it, but at the trial, to speak out for Jesus was pretty risky, possibly even life-threatening. 
Many of us come to Jesus expecting everything to go, go good. Maybe some slight bad, but not too much of it. So when the bottom drops out of us, uh, we often ask God, well, why did this happen? When life just crashes, what is going on? Thinking it's not supposed to happen this way. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It should be all wonderful rainbows and everything else and roses, right? Always remember, those roses, roses always, they, they have thorns. <laughs> if our faith is based on our situations, on our circumstances, it will never be committed. Our faith will never be committed. It will always be casual. You probably have attended some kind of big Christian event where the large stadium is packed out. Maybe it's a, a concert. Maybe it's a gathering, faith gathering, where a speaker's there and they're going to you know, get you closer to Jesus and, and do that. You know, praises for God, rock the entire arena, and, and everyone is praising God. Maybe you've been to those moments before. Charismatic speaker delivers the message, which is inspiring, motivating. And you intend to live for God and praise Him through your life every day from, because of that moment. Afterwards, you return home, pumped up, and ready to take on the world. That's when you need to be reminded that it's pretty easy to be all sold out to God at the big Christian event, when you're on that mountaintop experience. But on the next day, when you face the difficult situations, can you do the same thing in a world that is not exactly a friend to God? Can you look to God and praise His name and be on top of that mountaintop experience still? within a world that also mocks God, is cynical, and often angry at God, how easy is it for you to be praising God then? A committed faith takes the good with the bad, knowing that all we are ever promised is that in the midst of both our good and bad, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He's always with us. We have the presence of God with us. He will stand with us in those situations. Don't let those difficult moments, those storms of life, get your eyes off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to have our focus on Him, always. Committed faith will do that. Stories told of a little girl who, while walking in a garden, noticed a particularly beautiful flower. She admired its beauty and enjoyed its fragrance. It's so pretty, she exclaimed. As she gazed on it, her eyes followed the stem down to the soil in which it grew, and this flower, she said, is too pretty to be planted in such dirt. So she pulled it up by its roots and ran to the water faucet to wash away the soil. It wasn't long until the flower wilted and died. And when the gardener saw what the little girl had done, he exclaimed, you have destroyed my finest plant. And she said, I'm sorry, but I I didn't like it in the dirt. And the gardener replied, I chose that spot. And I mixed the soil because I knew that only there could it grow to be a beautiful flower. God has placed us exactly where we are. We must trust Him right where we're at. 
wherever we're at in our life. In the trusting, we eventually see that He is using our pressures, our trials, our difficulties to bring us to a new degree of spiritual beauty. True contentment comes when we accept what God is doing and thank Him for it. It won't be easy. It will be difficult. But it's the right thing. As we realize that wherever God has planted us, we need to bloom. So the question for all of us is this. Is your faith casual one? Or is it a committed one? Is your faith self-centered, what God can do for me? Or is it Christ-centered, what can you do for God with your life? Are you developing and maintaining your personal relationship with Jesus? Or are you just going through the motions? Is your faith based upon situations and circumstances? Or is it based upon Emmanuel? God with us? Those are questions that only you can answer between you and God. And if there's some situation there where you find an answer that the Holy Spirit's pointing out in your life that's not quite what God wants in your life, I trust you'll respond in obedience to God, coming to Him, asking Him to increase your faith, Asking him to help you through that situation. He will do it. God is faithful. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in the last few songs. And as they do, let me also let you know, someone once wrote this about Jesus. Said, he who is the bread of life began his ministry hungering. He who is the water of life ended his ministry thirsting. Jesus hungered as a man, yet fed the hungry as God. He was weary, yet he is our rest. He paid tribute, yet he is the king. He was called a devil, but he cast out demons. He prayed, yet he hears prayer. He wept, and he dries our tears. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he redeems sinners. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. He gave his life, and by dying, he destroyed death. Throughout Jesus' life on earth, Jesus was a man of striking contrasts, <laughs> reflecting both his genuine humanity as well as his full deity. On that Sunday before he died, one might have expected Jesus the King to enter Jerusalem on a mighty steed, but he chose instead a lowly donkey. Before he could come as a king to reign, he had to come as a savior to die. We would expect to find such contrast in the life of the one who was fully God and fully man. Jesus, who is the sovereign Lord of the universe, became a man to die for us. But one day he will return as a king of kings. So as we approach this week where Jesus suffered incredibly for us, and in a week where our sins, the past, present, and future, were the nails that hung him on the cross, 
Doesn't Jesus deserve a second look? Doesn't he deserve total control of your life? Doesn't he deserve a personal relationship with you? Shouldn't you move from a casual faith to a committed faith? This week, consider it all and choose to give it all to him. If you need to come pray and respond to God, the altar is open.